Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers, and it's episode 62. We're talking about a case today from the Virginia Court of Appeals about curtilages and open fields and the Fourth Amendment for law enforcement. As you know from listening to this podcast, this is a podcast for Virginia law enforcement officers. If you are a sheriff, police officer, fire marshal, state officer, local officer, whatever you're doing, this is a podcast designed to give you information that you might need about law, about constitutional law, new cases, new statutes, and so on. And we haven't done a lot of episodes this fall. Uh, There haven't been a lot of cases from the Courts of Appeals. There weren't a lot of cases tried in the last year due to COVID. Uh, That's going to change soon for a couple of reasons. One is the Court of Appeals next year is going to take every case on appeal. Uh, That's a statutory change. They're expanding the Court of Appeals, adding new judges. The idea is they no longer deny cases, refuse to hear cases. They're going to hear everything. So there'll be more opinions. And then, of course, obviously a lot more is going to trial. And, of course, we'll have the General Assembly coming up. So stay tuned for all of that. Should be a lot more to talk about next year. Today, however, I want to talk about a really interesting new case from the Court of Appeals in Virginia. This is a case called Ingram versus Commonwealth. It was decided on December 14th. It's a published opinion uh, by Judge Humphreys, and it's a case out of Rockbridge County. It's an animal cruelty case, but the reason I'm talking about it today is it really shows uh, an interesting analysis of police entry into a curtilage and also what happens outside the curtilage when you're on a piece of property that has a curtilage, but also the area outside, which we call the open field. And how does the Fourth Amendment treat those two different places? I think the Ingram case is a really great example, a great illustration of the difference between a curtilage and an open field, and a great opportunity for us to talk about what law enforcement can and can't do when they're lawfully inside the curtilage as part of sort of the implied invitation that there exists in society for anyone to walk up to the front door. Because the issue in Ingram is, did the officers exceed the scope of that implied invitation, uh, going outside of the curtilage or doing more than they were allowed to do in in the curtilage? And then when they went to the open field that was outside the curtilage, was that an open field or was that part of the curtilage? Um, So it's a really, it's just a cool case to talk about uh, for those purposes. So let's dive into the facts. Let's hear what it's all about. Like I said, this is an animal cruelty case. And as all Fourth Amendment cases are, uh, this the facts in this case are really important. So let's talk about the facts for a minute so that we understand what we're dealing with here. Like I said, this is a case from Rockbridge County. And what happens is uh, in February 2020, Rockbridge County Sheriff's Office responds to a dispatch. And the dispatch is for uh, two reports. One is a dog running at large and another dog that was struck and killed by a vehicle in that area. So officers respond, uh, they speak to the parties, they confirm that those things did happen, and they go to the home where they believe the dogs uh, were living to talk to the owner of the animals. Now, this is where we get to the details that are important. When they get to the home, the home has two ways that you can walk up to it. One is a long driveway that feeds into the public road, And uh, there's also a set of wooden stairs about 20 yards up the road. And if you take those stairs, they lead up to a small embankment through the side yard of the house, uh, past like a door that didn't have the upper panel on it. And um, 
It's on the first floor, and they takes you takes you to stairs that lead up to a large front deck, and to the second story front door of the home. So when you look at the house, it kind of looks like it has maybe two front doors, and the main front door. The officers kind of look at it and say, it looks kind of like the second floor main door. Maybe that's the main door of the house. It kind of looks like that might be the main door of the house. So they go up the stairs, they knock on the door in the deck, and they can hear dogs barking inside, but they don't get an answer for the door. So there's also this first floor door, which is also, you know, kind of facing out. So they say, well, maybe the first floor is the entrance. So they walk down the stairs again, and when they get down from the front door, there's a dog perched up on an object peering out over a missing window frame in the first floor door. So the officers then walk up to the first floor door, and when they do, they see a dog perched on an old toilet. Uh, they start noticing, hey, you know, if you look inside, and they can stand, they're standing outside, but they can look inside, they can see the floor is filthy, it's got, I'm not going to describe it, it's, it's pretty bad inside, it looks pretty bad inside. And um, they see some stuff inside that concerns them. They see a dead dog inside. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go into all the details because they're not really important right now, except that they clearly can see these animals are being neglected. There's a bad situation inside. Um, but here at the motion to suppress, the deputy testified that he could see the dead dog by looking down from his location a couple inches from the door. And he didn't have to peek over. He didn't have to stick his head in because remember, this window, it's got the frame missing. So there's like literally no window there. Um, he could have stuck his head in, but he didn't do that. He could see everything that he saw about the neglect from standing outside. Now, the deputies also hear a number of other dogs barking in an area outside of the home. And from where they're standing on the deck, on the second story at the other door, some of the deputies can see uh, an, an area around a tree line about 40 to 50 yards from the home. And so one of the deputies walks along the front yard of the home um, to a part of the yard that's not been mowed, it's not manicured, it's just sort of wild, and he gets to a patch of woods, um, and there he can see four dogs who are also clearly neglected. Um, they're standing, in, they're in a hill, and the hill's not enclosed, there's no buildings, it's just basically, like, literally an open field, and we'll talk about the phrase open field I'm using colloquially, not in the Fourth Amendment sense, but you'll see why the, that I make that comment in a little bit. So anyway, they all based on all this information, they get a search warrant, they execute the search warrant, they find uh, about a dozen animals that are very severely neglected. Uh, the woman is arrested, she's charged, goes to court, and she files a motion to suppress. The trial court hears the evidence, the trial court denies the motion to suppress, and convicts her of about a dozen counts, um, and uh, she appeals her conviction. So her argument under the Fourth Amendment is that the police exceeded the scope of what they could lawfully do walking onto the curtilage of her home uh, by looking in the windows, uh, by observing what they saw, and also by uh, looking at, by walking up the hill to the you know out in the curtilage, walking up the hill to examine the dogs that were up on the hill, and that's the issue that the Court of Appeals has to deal with here. So. Again, what we stand ourselves at is this really interesting interplay between uh, the privacy of the home, what officers can and can't do in the curtilage of the home, the implied invitation to walk into the curtilage of the home, and then this concept of an open field. So I want to step back for a second and sort of review where we're at here with the Fourth Amendment. Oh, that... 
the Fourth Amendment provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, the person or thing to be seized. And the core value that the Fourth Amendment protects, and that the founders intended for it to protect, was to protect the home. So we know, and we talk about this a lot in the podcast, there's only three ways into a home, right? And those are consent, a search warrant, or a warrant of some kind, arrest warrant maybe, uh, or exigent circumstances, right? This case does not involve exigent circumstances. This is not an issue in this case where we have a, an exigent circumstance, so we're not going to buy that today. And the officers had no warrant uh, until after they gathered what they saw as evidence, they, you know, the information about the, the dogs in the field and the information about the dogs in the house, which they saw from outside the house. They used that to get a warrant. But here, Ms. Ingram's challenge is to what they did before they got the warrant. So the issue here is, were the officers acting lawfully under some kind of consent where they were? Or was there a Fourth Amendment issue at all? Were they not even in the home at all? And we know, obviously, that the home, if they had walked into the home, they would have needed consent, a warrant of some kind, or exigent circumstances. But we also know, we've talked about this in the podcast before, that not only is the home covered by that powerful protection of the Fourth Amendment, but also the curtilage to one's home is protected by that powerful protection of the Fourth Amendment. And so the area immediately surrounded and associated with the home is what's the curtilage. That's part of the home for the Fourth Amendment. The curtilage, though, is not literally every piece of property that you own. And, and so for those of you who maybe work in a city, you know, like Alexandria or Norfolk or Richmond or something, you know, most of the houses, the, the area around the home is the curtilage because there's nothing else besides curtilage. But for those of you who might be working out in a larger county, you know, uh, a more rural county or mixed county, you know, Fauquier County, Prince William, Albemarle, um, you know, those kinds of areas where people have big pieces of property, five acres, you know, six acres, 10, 20, whatever. The, the whole piece of property isn't the curtilage. It's just the area immediately surrounding and associated with the home, right? So um, the idea here is it would make no sense for you to have privacy in your home if the police could just walk right up to your house and peer through your windows, right? That doesn't really give you very much privacy. So the, the protection given by the Fourth Amendment to the home is also extended to the curtilage, the area that's intimately linked to the home, both physically and psychologically, where your privacy expectations are most heightened. So, um, you know, how can you tell whether or not something is a curtilage? That's a key question, right? And so there's a case called United States versus Dunn, which is a 1987 case, and it lays out four factors. And we'll talk about those factors in a little bit. But once I'm now, now that we're dealing with the curtilage, right? Now the next question is, okay, so does that mean if there's a curtilage to the home, like let's say the front yard of a home or the front walkway to the home, that police can't go into that either ever? And the answer is no. Uh, police can't go into that area if their purpose is to gather evidence. But, and the court reaffirmed this in a case called Florida versus Jardines in 2013. There's a license that's sort of implied from the habits of our country for the general public to approach a home to speak to the residents, right? Typically speaking, um, unless there's a no trespassing, no entry at any time, big gate out front, 
um, having, you know, if you have a house and you've got a front door to the house, typically speaking, homeowners permit visitors to approach the home by the front path, knock, prom- knock promptly uh, to be received. And, you know, if they're not received, knocking on the door and waiting for the person to answer the door. And so that license, which exists in our country, just generally speaking, by virtue of our culture, of our society, um, allows visitors to go where visitors would be expected to go. Um, and again, if you could reasonably be expected to uh, accept visitors at that space, whether that's the front door of the house, or maybe it's the side door of the house, right? When I was growing up, uh, the door of our house that most people accepted visitors was on the side of the house. And so that's where we got, you know, pizza delivery and, you know, dry cleaning and all that kind of stuff was delivered to the side door of the house. So that's police, again, could enter that, could, could approach that door as well. That license to invite anyone to the front door, uh, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, people from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Jehovah's Witnesses or Girl Scouts or whoever, extends to law enforcement. Uh, when law enforcement who don't law enforcement officers don't have a search warrant, they can come knock on a door. They can do what a private citizen can do. They can't do more than that, but they can do what a private citizen can do. And even though officers aren't allowed to enter if their purpose is to gather evidence. Uh, they can keep their eyes open and see what they see the same way that any visitor could. And that's the issue in this case. Do the officers do, you know, do they stay within the scope of what any visitor could do? And in doing so, you know, just keep their eyes open and see what they saw. If the officers, if the officer's purpose when they walked up to the house was to conduct a search, and that's what they were doing, was conducting a search, though, that would have been problematic because a visitor is not allowed to do that. That was the problem in Jardines. The officers approached the house with the intention to conduct a search in Jardines, and the court found that that was unlawful. But here, if you look at the facts of the case, right, why did the officers respond? The officers responded because they got a call that a dog was running at large and that a dog had been struck by a car. So they wanted to contact the owners of the animals. And therefore, when the officers approached the house, the court here found that the officers were acting within the scope of the implied license when they watched the front, when they walked to the what appeared to be the front door of the home. Uh, here, it could have been the first floor door, it could have been the second floor door, but either way, they were trying to make contact with the homeowner the same way that you know that anybody would, that uh, a traveling salesperson would be doing, or the same way that somebody doing voter registration would be doing, or that the pizza delivery guy would be doing, or delivery person would be doing. Uh, here, the video really helps the officers. The Court of Appeals actually watched the video and described how the deputy approached the home from a reasonable path that visitors would be expected to take. He approached the front door in a direct manner. He knocked on the door. Uh, he then proceeded down the front stairs of the home and saw the other door. He then uh, walked to that door and again tried to summon somebody to the door. Court said, hey, look, nothing the deputies did made it appear like they were trying to search the place. They were just trying to approach the doors to try to talk to the resident about this dead dog uh, laying in the road. They didn't, you, you know, they didn't uh, bring scanning equipment or, you know, a drug sniffing dog of their own or anything like that. They didn't sneak up to the house. Um, they weren't searching the area when they were coming through. They were just having to make contact with the resident. And then when they got there, they just began to see evidence, right? They saw from where they were lawfully standing evidence of severe neglect of these animals through the window. Uh, Here the deputy looked in the window, and he testified at the motion to suppress that he was able to see the one dog who had deceased uh, from outside the door. Uh, He could see the trash and the sort of disrepair of the place, again, from the outside. 
Um, and here the deputies did a good job, not just with their video, but also they took pictures from where they were standing outside to document what they could see from standing outside. So here the court said uh, that the officers were within the curtilage of the house, certainly, right? That's the area walking up to the front door of the house is, is almost always going to be found to be in the curtilage of the home. But they did no more than any visitor would be allowed to do, which is to stay stand where they were allowed to stand and try to summon the residents of the house. And the court found that that did not exceed the Fourth Amendment. So, so far, so good. We're at the front door of the house. We're seeing some evidence um, and the officers are acting lawfully. But the next question in this case is what the officers do next, because remember, some of the deputies are still standing on that second floor deck, what, you know, at the other door that appears to be maybe the front door of the house. They're knocking on the door trying to get an answer. And from standing on that second floor deck, they can look out into this uh, hill and see these dogs running loose on the hill. And they're concerned about what those, you know, what's going on with those dogs. So one of the deputies walks uh, back down the stairs. He walks through a field that's not been mowed, uh, that's kind of running wild to uh, a tree line and where this field is, where this hill is, and, and examines these dogs, which appear to be very malnourished and neglected. And so the next question becomes, okay, well, what about that area? Uh, were the officers permitted to walk up to that hill and examine the dogs that were in that area? Well, at this point, we got to step back and say, well, is that area the curtilage? I mean, does that area get that same Fourth Amendment protection that the home gets? Or is that area, that hill outside, treated differently than the curtilage? And up until now, I don't know that we've spent a lot of time on this issue, but I want to spend a minute and talk about this concept of the curtilage versus what the court calls an open field. So if something's a curtilage, right, to figure out whether it's a curtilage, like I said, there was this case called U.S. versus Dunn. It's a 1987 case from the Supreme Court. And it sort of says, you look at four factors to determine whether or not something is the curtilage. You look at, number one, how close it is to the home, right, the proximity of the area, to the home. Number two, does it have an enclosure surrounding the home? So for example, if you have a fence uh, or a wall around that area, <clears throat> it's more likely that that's going to be the cartilage. Not necessarily going to be the cartilage, right? Because lots of times out in, you know, big pieces of property, 20 acres or whatever, some people might have a giant fence that might hold in uh, cattle or horses or something like that. But it's a factor. Number three, the nature of the uses to which the area is put. Again, if you're, you have cattle or horses or uh, that kind of thing, or if it's just sort of you know wild and it's not taken care of, well, that doesn't look like a cartilage. On the other hand, if it's the area where your kids play, uh, if it's the area where you keep your lawn and garden equipment, um, if it's an area where you have a little porch set up and you sit outside and you know uh, maybe you spend the afternoon and drink and listen to radio or something like that, that look, looks a little bit more like the cartilage. And number four, you look at the steps taken by the resident to protect the area from observation by people passing by, right? So in a big, you know, your big piece of property, your, you know, five acres, you know, 10 acre area might be posted, no trespassing or posted, uh, do not enter. But is it protected from observation? Probably not, right? Maybe you have a very rudimentary fence around the area. But when you get to that curtilage area, there, you might protect it from observation. You might have a, a, a higher fence up. Uh, you might do things to protect the area from observation by people passing by because it's more private. Here, going to that core question under the Fourth Amendment that we always ask, 
does the person have a reasonable expectation of privacy in that space? So with the hill, right, we don't have, it's not very close to the home. Uh, it's 40 to 50 yards from the home. Uh, it's not included within an enclosure. Um, it doesn't appear to be used for anything that's associated with the home. There's dogs running around in it, but I mean, there doesn't appear to be any attachment of that to the home. And there's no effort to protect it from observation. So it doesn't look like a curtilage. And if it's not a curtilage, then what is it? Well, that's where we get into this idea of an open field. Um, and even in the Jardines case a few years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court reaffirmed that the Fourth Amendment doesn't prevent all investigations on private property. The Fourth Amendment protects the home. And private property that's considered to be an open field, right? So again, we're talking about 10 acre, 20 acre, big piece of property, right? Uh, this wasn't that big, but it still had a curtilage in an open field. Um, if it's an open field, it can be searched without a warrant. It can be searched without exigent circumstances. It can be searched without consent by law enforcement because open fields are not considered to be protected by the Fourth Amendment. And so it's important to note here that uh, a person could be trespassing on private property, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that area is protected by the Fourth Amendment. What is private property and what's protected by the Fourth Amendment are not the same. The area that's outside the curtilage of a home then is considered to be an open field where there is no reasonable expectation of privacy. Um, and so uh, the classic case about this is a case called Oliver versus United States, which is a 1984 case from the U.S. Supreme Court where federal agents walk into a bunch of fields. Um, it's away from the curtilage of the house. They don't have a warrant. There were no trespassing signs. Uh, so the per it was definitely private property and they definitely were trespassing on the property. Uh, but they walked through an opening on a fence or slid through an opening in a fence and found a marijuana grow operation. And in that case, the defendant said, hey, you're on my private property. You were trespassing. It said no trespassing. But the court said there, there was no Fourth Amendment violation because open fields are not considered to be persons, houses, papers, and effects under the Fourth Amendment. Um, it's, it's your private property, but it's not protected by the Fourth Amendment. It's not an unreasonable search that's prescribed by the Fourth Amendment. And so, uh, you know, fences and no trespassing signs, they don't bar the public from viewing an open field. And so there's less of an expectation of privacy in that open field. And here, the court looked a lot to the common law, and I think probably to what the expectations were at the time of colonial America, uh, which, you know, again, basically kind of said, you know, you, you might have a piece of property, and some people had pieces of property that were enormous, you know, the size of entire states now. And, uh, and, and you couldn't possibly have an expectation of privacy in that. There were definitely people walking through your fields back then. So, um, uh, and, and the Supreme Court in Virginia applied that in a case that was decided just 10 days after the Oliver case in a case called Welford versus Commonwealth. Um, and in that case, again, the court adopted that ruling from Oliver and applied it uh, in the Welford case, sort of describing how the, the curtilage of a dwelling house is a space that's necessary and convenient. That's habitually used for family purposes, the carrying on of domestic employment. Um, it's the yard, the garden, the field that's near in use to the connection of the building. Um, and they talk about the law of England, right? the common law in England. In England, the curtilage was really only the buildings within the inner fence of the yard um, because that was the time, that was the kind of space that you would fall back to and defend if you were attacked. Um, but here in the United States, you know, 
we don't really have those kinds of fences or walls, so we have to make a, an analysis or a judgment call about what is the cartilage, right? And it's the space that is the habitation or the dwelling place, whether there's a fence or a wall or not. Which takes us back then to Ms. Ingram's field, her, her hill, that is set apart from the house, right? Across the unmowed yard, uh, up this hill that's not enclosed, that's not protected from public view, that doesn't appear to be associated directly with the, the habitation of the house. And the court looks at that and says, uh, the hill where the dogs were found was an open field and not part of the cartilage, right? It's not enclosed, it's 40, 50 yards away, it's not put to use by the residents, uh, it's only apparently used as a place to keep the dogs, there's no effort to hide it from observation, um, the deputy could see it from the porch and from the driveway, which meant that, you know, again, there's a diminished expectation of privacy. If you can see it from super far away, you know, what's your expectation of privacy that people wouldn't just be looking at what's in the field? So there, that hill is clearly considered to be an open field for purposes of the Fourth Amendment. And as such, any search conducted there is beyond the scope of the Fourth Amendment's protections. Um... Now here, the, there's an interesting issue because the deputy walks across her yard to get to the, um, the, the open field. But here again, it's important to note that, that the fact that the deputy is walking on private property doesn't automatically make it a Fourth Amendment violation. And the Fourth Amendment doesn't prevent the government simply from entering private property. And this is the, the cru crucial ruling of the Oliver case and of the Welford case. Um, yeah, the deputy probably walked out of the cartilage where he had an implied license to walk up to the front door. So he walked beyond the space that he was permitted to walk uh, to get out, out into that field and walk up the hill. And he did so to investigate, to search, to, to, to check out what was on the hill. Um, but it's not like he discovered something that was in the cartilage that was outside of that area where he's walking to the front door. If he had, I think there'd be a problem. So in other words, if he had walked down the steps, walked outside that area where he had the implied invitation to walk to the front door, he was still in the cartilage, and maybe on the side of the house, he looked in the window of the side of the house where he, there was no implied uh, invitation to enter. He was in his place that was private, the side of the house, looking in the window in the side of the house. Uh, and in that private place, he saw something, there, that probably would be suppressed, right? Because there, he didn't have any uh, legal legal authority to be standing on the side of the house peering into the windows. That's a private space where that person had expectation of privacy. That evidence would have been suppressed, I think. But here, uh, the issue is, you know, he trespasses to, to walk uh, up to the hill. But once he gets to the hill, the hill's an open field. And the hill has no Fourth Amendment protection. And so there's no constitutional violation for the deputy uh, to examine what he finds on the hill. So all that being said, that Ms. Uh, Ingram's conviction is affirmed by the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals agrees that there's no Fourth Amendment violation here. So what's the takeaway? What's the lesson? Uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, the law hasn't changed, but this is a great reminder of the law, right? You have a home, and the home, there's only three ways into the home, consent, a warrant of some kind, or exigent circumstances. And the curtilage gets that same protection. The only way into the curtilage of a home is consent, a warrant of some kind, or exigent circumstances. But when it comes to consent in our society, there is implied consent for you to walk onto the curtilage so long as you do what any visitor would do, which is walk directly or the most direct path 
from the public area, the street or the sidewalk, up to what appears to be the front door of the house. And then when you get there, you know, try to summon the owner of the house. You can't conduct a If you go onto that property with, a, with an intention to conduct a search, and as you walk up, you're doing a search, that's exceeding the scope of, of an invitation. But if you're just going up to contact the person at the front door, you can see what you can see. You can keep your eyes open, and what you see uh, is lawfully in plain view, and you can, you know, could be used as evidence, which it was in this case to get a search warrant. You can't go outside that implied invitation to walk around to the side of the house or the back of the house or examine things that are outside that route that any visitor would take from the street or the sidewalk to the front door. And you'd be violating someone's privacy and violating the Fourth Amendment if you went outside the scope of that visitor uh, implied invitation to visitors. So if you went out to the side of the house to look in the windows, that's going to be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But those rules that I just mentioned apply only to the cartilage of the home. And it's the curtilage of the home that gets that protection of the Fourth Amendment, the same protection that the home gets. In an open field, you don't get that kind of protection. Uh, the open field outside the curtilage. And so any piece of pro- any bit of that property that's not considered to be protected by the curtilage is an open field. So some of you may have jurisdictions where there's a lot of open fields, uh, where it might be trespassing to walk on that property but it wouldn't be a Fourth Amendment violation. Some of you, though, have come from jurisdictions where there's not a lot of open fields. Uh, there's really not a lot of open space at all uh, that's in private hands. Uh, and so this case may be less relevant for you on the open fields issue, but the cartilage issue, I think, is still a, a useful issue for every law enforcement officer. So I hope today was interesting. I hope it was useful. I thought this case was fascinating. Uh, and coming up, up, the General Assembly is meeting in January, so we'll be talking a lot about that and new cases, court appeals cases, and so on. So stay tuned. Stick around. Uh, for date, though, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. To everybody out there, stay safe, don't get captured, and have an absolutely wonderful holiday. See you next time.